You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good evening, Browns fans, and welcome to yet another edition of OBR Weekly. Uh, my name is Barry McBride, and uh, I am the publisher and web dork of the uh, infamous Orange and Brown Report. My job is to ask questions and uh, get out of the way as uh, Fred Breatham, the legend, the beat reporter of the OBR, adds some wisdom and insight to the program. Uh, and uh, welcome, everyone. And most of all, welcome, Fred. How are you doing tonight, Freddie? So uh, off season, trying to get adjusted to life away from Berea, but it's, it doesn't take long. It's easy to kind of slip back into off season mode. Good, good. Well, um, <clears throat> hopefully we have uh, a, a bunch of people joining us tonight because there is a uh, quite a bit to talk about uh, as the off season is starting. And as usual, this show is powered by your questions and comments. Uh, I have, as usual, brought a couple of stupid questions along to ask Fred and a couple of questions from our Ask the Insiders forum. But uh, the real action is you guys and your questions uh, for uh, Fred uh, and uh, your comments that we react to. So please uh, get them going in the chat room uh, and we'll be happy to try to answer them. Uh, you guys control the show, and uh, if you don't have any comments or questions, we'll just sort of sit here and uh, talk about whatever we feel like, what we're watching on TV, any good movies or whatever, and uh, uh, it is, uh, you know, uh, it'll be really boring. But hopefully you'll have comments and questions, and uh, we will react to those. But uh, first of all, uh, we were not here uh, last week, uh, and uh, in the interim... Uh, the favorite of the League of the Extraordinary Oldsters, namely Fred and I, Mr. Jim Schwartz, was named the defensive coordinator of the Cleveland Browns since the last time we were on the air. Uh, when we were on the air last, Fred and I were champion, championing his candidacy. So we will not spend a lot of time belaboring why we thought he was the best choice. We simply uh, were backing his candidacy. But let's talk about his, his staff. Uh, Fred, um, despite, you know, in his press conference, uh, Schwartz saying that, well, it's actually Kevin's staff and he's the defensive coordinator. You know, we heard a little bit that, uh, you know, the staff was being told that they were stay safe and that Prefer was being told he was safe. Now we're hearing sort of the opposite, uh, that uh, they're taking a look at the staff and maybe there's going to be some change. Uh, if you're Jim Schwartz, uh, how aggressive would you be uh, in making changes to the staff during the offseason? Well, you know, it's it's hard to know what his past relationship with some of these guys are. It's also he made it a point to say that it was Kevin Stefanski's staff and he had the ultimate say. So it's hard for me to believe a guy with this much experience would have said, hey, well, whatever you want to do, I have no input. I think he feels comfortable enough that he's going to have enough input. Um, there might be some carryover from Stefanski's staff, but I think in the key positions, 
Um, they're going to be people that Schwartz feels good about. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see if Jeff Howard moves on. I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Chris Kiffin moved on. You know, both of them kind of had some, one gave out information maybe that the, the Stefanski didn't want out. The other one sounded kind of like he didn't have a clue, you know, about the defensive backs and he's the defensive backs coach. So Stefanski's MO isn't to just come right out and fire somebody and make a big deal out of it. Now he did fire Woods. Um, that's really the first firing in three years and kind of that was much anticipated. So I can see when they said you could go interview other jobs that that's kind of the way to let them move on gracefully without saying you've been let go. I don't know, but there's, there's not been much other than you hear a, a guy here or there interviewing for another job. So mm -hmm. they start making some announcements. I mean, there's never really been anything with Mike Prefer, you know, Stefanski will say, well, you know, well, we're going to talk to him, then we'll get back to you or what, but, but they never do because we never, you know, hear from them again until we get a press release saying this is what happened, you know? So, um, I think Schwartz, you know, I'm totally confident that he's going to get who he wants. There's a couple guys that were with him before that I think are available and I wouldn't be surprised. I think that stuff will start ramping up, you know, here in the next week or two. So there might be some, some people still coaching, you know, but not too concerned about it. I'm concerned with the top down, you know, mm -hmm. If Schwartz is, is convinced or happy with him, you know, I'm going to be happy with him, to be honest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They need to be his guys and buy into his scheme and all that sort of thing. I was, you know, surprised and alarmed when, uh, you know, there were some reports that, say, that said that, you know, the staff was basically told that they were safe uh, because, you know, there were issues on that staff, you know, as you pointed to. Um, you know, there were broken coverages, uh, it, but we didn't know how much of that was really the responsibility of the defensive coordinator, how much of that was the responsibility of uh, the uh, unit coaches, you know, and, uh, you know, without that transparency, you don't really know, but, um, you know, sort of accepting these guys and sort of saying, well, he'll coach them up uh, seemed to me to be, you uh, uh, you know, not really doing your due diligence. Uh, I'm glad to hear now that uh, that uh, uh, they're diving into that question a, a little bit more. Um, do you think Mike Prefer is safe, or do you think we would have heard by now uh, if there were going to be changes at the special teams coordinator position? I think we would have heard. You know, Stefanski, when he was asked about him, he said that he hadn't talked to him yet and he wanted to talk to him, I think if he talked to him and then you got a release saying we've relieved Mike Prefer of his duties or something like that, um, I don't I, – I, he's not going to put him in a position where he can't get another job. And so I think if you're going to part with somebody, you usually do it as quick as you can, not when some of these other staffs are being filled, you know, but – 
Yeah. I think they finished right in the middle of the pack, 18th. I mean, in defense of Prefer, they really went out, and, and it was really under the radar. Nobody really talked about it, but they signed a Pro Bowl kick returner um, mm-hmm. in the offseason and gave him a lot of money for that position in Jakeem Grant. You never saw him play. So the rest, of the you know, that was in preseason, and you really can't get the guy you want at that point. So, you know, they had a makeshift kick returner with Jerome Ford, and then he got hurt, and uh, and they started with Demetric Felt and then replaced him with Peoples-Jones. So, um, Cade York makes the field goals, and, oh, he's a great kicker, or a great coach. Um, I, I really think they got to have some stability on the end of the roster for the – you know, sometimes for the special teams guys, some of these teams have core special teams players that are just on the team because of that. Browns right. have let them go the last several off seasons because they didn't have a deep enough, you know, bottom of the roster, in my opinion. So right. I, I think it could go either way. I think right now that there was no move made. I'm assuming prefers back. He sounded the last time we talked to him, he said, I'm under contract. I intend to be here. I think he was given some assurances that he was safe because he was talking pretty, you know, I don't think even if you, if you haven't been told something, you might not be saying things at all. Just, well, we'll like Joe Woods was really kind of, I hope so. Right. This and that, And then he was let go. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Prefer sounded a little bit more confident, it sounds like. So um, we will wait for word on that. You know, there's not a a lot of leaks coming out of Berea in terms of this mulling over the defensive staff uh, at this point. And and what leaks are coming out seem to be sort of (laughs) contradictory. So I'm not putting a lot of stock in them uh, at this point in time. Uh, Like you said, Fred, we're sort of here waiting on press releases at this point to see what happens. Uh, and rumors coming out of other cities in terms of whether there are Browns defensive coaches interviewing for positions there, like we heard about uh, Howard uh, interviewing for a position in uh, Los Angeles. Um, Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, Interesting article from Andrew this evening uh, where he talked about uh, the uh, MVP of the Browns, if you can, in fact, have an MVP for a team that is – seven and 10, but uh, even on bad teams or even on losing teams, uh, you have most valuable players. Uh, Since you are out doing, you know, useful things uh, rather than voting for MVP in Slack channels like the rest of us were today, um, you didn't get a chance to register your vote. So uh, I will ask you on the spot here, uh, who would you label the Browns MVP uh, for 2022 And uh, why is the selection I made the right one? This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Well, I don't know what one you made because, as you said, I was 
Okay. Um, you know what? We vote for that. Um, a couple years, a few years ago, about the time Joe Thomas retired, we renamed the MVP award to the Joe Thomas award. As far as the media that covered the Browns, it's the pro football writers of America mm-hmm. and um, our local chapter. And we vote on that. And I'll be honest, I voted number. We vote for one and two as well as the good guy. And every year, Joel Batonio gets the good guy because he's so good with us. But number one, I voted was Nick Chubb. And number two, I voted was Miles Garrett. Mm-hmm. But one of the, one of my colleagues made a case after I turned in my vote for Joel Batonio mm-hmm. because believe it or not, I mean, we all know Joe Thomas is going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer probably here and whenever they announce it. And, you know, we never voted him MVP. How can you do that with a first ballot Hall of Famer until the end of his career? And one of the my colleagues brought up that Joe Batonio should be considered because he's probably following the Joe Thomas track. He's now yeah. been a Pro Bowler four or five times. He's now getting on that Pro Bowl, or I mean the All-Pro machine, which means you are the best guard in the football. And you you put two, three more of those together, he's got the Joe Thomas resume other than he's a guard instead of a tackle. So right. the right. point is, how can you have a first ballot Hall of Famer not be the most valuable player on your team? Right, so right. I kind of agree with that, and I agree. We ended up naming Joel Batonio the Joe Thomas Award winner this year, the MVP. And because usually it goes to the sexy guy, the quarterback, the running back, the mm-hmm. defensive end. But to be honest, there's a good case that Joel Batonio is the best player on the team. Right, right. And, I, you know, I think you can make that case. You can make it certainly for Miles Garrett you know, um, as being the best player on the team. Um, I voted for uh, Jacoby Brissett. Now, maybe I picked the quarterback because the quarterback is, you know, the most important position on the team. Uh, but from my perspective, I voted him most valuable player because um, uh, of his leadership. You know, I think without Jacoby Brissett, this this season would have been uh, in uh, an unmitigated disaster, you know without his leadership and him coming in to fill that position that Deshaun Watson, you know, when he was unable to play, when he got that 11 game suspension. So that was, that was my reasoning. He's not the best player on the team. Miles Garrett, Joel Bertonio, those are the best players on the team, but I thought he was most valuable to the team uh, in 2022. That was my reasoning. Of course, my reasoning is skewed because my brain is weird. Uh, And I can certainly understand your reasoning for Bertonio or Garrett or Chubb, all of whom are outstanding players. Uh, but I think without Brissett, this would have been a you know four or five win team. In yeah, instead of four and seven under Brissett, they could have been three and eight. You know, or <laughs> so, Good point. Okay, I, I respectfully disagree. Now I will say we have another award called the Good Guy Award that I just said mm-hmm. that usually goes to Joel Batonio. Right. It's for the most cooperative with the media. Mm-hmm. And Jacoby Brissett won that award. 
Yeah. And so that was for leadership in the locker room and some of the things you were saying. I just think maybe you miscast your vote to the wrong area, but I'll let you, I'll let you go. I get, you know, I I get (laughs) you got, you're a little different in your perspective on things. So anyway, that's okay. But no, I mean, those three guys that I mentioned, Batonio, Garrett, Chubb got all the awards postseason as well. Um, so I just can't really argue against, you know, any of them, but I do see this is the first time Batonio's won the most valuable player. And like I said, if we, if we continue to, to, you know, ignore him, (laughs) it's kind of embarrassing if he goes to hall of fame and you're never the, the best player, most valuable on your team. So, right enough said there, but he said this was a new thing for him. He said he's going to have to campaign harder to get back on the good guy award because he's like the good guy every year. (laughs) And this year he could have got that again, but we went another direction. Well, you've got, you know, a couple players on this team and in Chubb, Batonio and Garrett who legitimately, you know, if they finish their career strong can make clay, you know, can make cases to have played at a Hall of Fame, you know, caliber. You know, Garrett needs to accumulate numbers. He has to have a long career. Same with Chubb. Batonio is on his way there. He just needs a long career uh, playing at a high level. You know, all these guys do. Uh, And uh, the team itself needs some success, right? Garrett, for example, this year, despite being arguably, you know, one of the best edge rushers in the league, didn't, qualify wasn't nominated for the defensive player of the year. You know, the guys who were, you know, Parsons, Bosa, and uh, Chris Jones, all fantastic players. Uh, but, you know, you know, the commonality between those three players is they're, they're all on teams that were playing last weekend, right? Garrett, despite his, you know, excellent play, uh, was not. You know, he was playing on the Browns who were 7-10 and 10, uh, this year. And, uh, you know, uh, he, he didn't help himself with his car accident and, and, and all that sort of stuff uh, this season. Uh, under Jim Schwartz, maybe he has a better potential of getting that national recognition uh, if he's featured in a defense, which is playing a little bit better. But, uh, again, we've got a number of players here who have the skill sets, you know, and are putting together some numbers that could – get that uh, uh, nomination, you know, at some point. Um, Fumble 13 is asking, is Betonio Hall of Fame caliber? And uh, uh, I think from your perspective, you're uh, you're saying you think he is. Well, I, you know, I think that he's played eight years. I don't have it right in front of me. But, you know, I think he's made the Pro Bowl now five straight years, maybe six. Um but I know that the last two or last three, he's been all pro, meaning he's the best guard, voted the best guard in the NFL. There's only two of them, right and left. I know Alan Fanica, you know, with the Steelers, he, he might have been first ballot. You know, not everybody knew who he was. It's hard as a guard, but I think he's one of the best guards in the in the NFL. Now it's just – Will he keep that up for, I don't know, I don't know, three more years, four more years, but it'd be hard to keep a guy out of the Hall of Fame, 
you know, like Joe Thomas, 10 years, 10 Pro Bowls. Um, you know, if, if Batonio has six, seven now and he goes another three, four and he's up in the 10, 11, how do you keep him out? If he's the best at his position. So, you know, absolutely. He's just putting together a very steady, very strong career, you know, at the top of his game. You know, if he keeps that up for a few more years, it's going to be hard to keep him out. But uh, Brown's going deep into the playoffs would certainly help his case, I think. Uh, Speaking of teams going deep into the playoffs, switching gears again a little bit here, um, watching the Bengals take on the Buffalo Bills last weekend, um, the talent gap between the Bengals and the Cleveland Browns uh, alarmed me a bit. It seems to be growing larger. Uh, the Bengals demonstrated superiority <laughs> or over the Bills on, on both the offensive and defensive fronts, in my opinion. Uh, and Burrow is looking alarmingly like a young player starting off on a Hall of Fame career. Uh, now, I've been on the record uh, saying that the Bengals were simply lucky for sucking at the right time and stumbling into Burrow. Then Burrow got hurt and they stumbled into Chase. Uh, but they've surrounded him with talent. Now, to bring up what I know is a sore spot with you, Fred, nothing proves that to me more than their decision to tr- uh, sign Trey Hendrickson while the Browns signed mercenary Jadavian Clowney. Do you think that the gap between the Bengals and the Browns is as significant uh, as, uh, as I do? And do you think the Bengals front office has outperformed the Browns over these last few years, or have they just gotten lucky like I previously thought? Well, a little both. I think they have. I mean, you just can't, you know, talk about you can have the first pick in the draft, but there's got to be somebody that's first pick worthy. Um, The Browns year, I guess, the second year when they took Mayfield, you could have said Josh Allen, but but there's some with the in Buffalo that think you know he's good, but he's just not got that it factor that a Burrow or a Mahomes or one of those have. Um, I'm not sure the jury's still out there, but yeah, definitely with the Chase move. I mean, Burrow tore his ACL his rookie year, so they stunk, and they got the fifth pick, so that enabled them to not only have the franchise quarterback, but probably the best wide receiver in the draft, one of the best now in the NFL. Now, judiciously, it pains me to say, but they are a frugal franchise and they have seemingly made the right moves. I mean, last off season, their offensive line really stunk and they went out and got three or four, I think three new starters I think a couple or all three of them got hurt right now, but um, they still are finding ways to win with the backups. But the Hendrickson signing, I wanted a a long-term answer opposite Miles Garrett when he was a free agent. And the Browns chose to do the, I think, Tack McKinley that year. And uh, maybe it was N. Clowney. And McKinley got hurt, but neither had the impact Hendrickson. And so they've made the most of their, of their moves. Um, they, they're starting to going to be faced with, you know, when you have a Super Bowl team like they did last year and possibly a second year, you're going to have a lot of 
guys coming off their first uh, contract that are going to want to get paid. And this year, Jesse Bates, you know, their big time safety, they franchised him last year. So I don't think they're going to pay him. Um, I think I was even concerned, questioning if they, how they would, you know, go about Joe Burrow, but I have a feeling that Joe Burrow's going to work with them and not take every last dime. And unfortunately they'll be able to work things out with him, <laughs> but um, no, some of these guys I think Higgins becomes, you know, to that point where they have to extend him or move on. And you're going to see them faced with some of the challenges of success, but they have done a good job making the right moves you know, with the non-quarterback issue. I had an argument the other day. I know a lot of, with our internal, a lot of our guys are football guys, football fans, and they really like Burrow. And I said, this is unpopular, but I don't like Burrow, you know? And they go, why? You know, it's like because of his um, personality or the way he plays his game. I go, no, because he's a Bengal, you know? It's like... Burrow stands in the way of the Browns getting to where they exactly. want to go. Yeah. Just like Lamar Jackson. And if I'm going to work with the Orange and Brown Report and want to see a Super Bowl in my lifetime, you pretty much have to, you know, go through those guys. And so that's where all this comes back with the Browns to Deshaun Watson. The Browns felt they had to go get a, you know, a guy. He was the best option they felt they could get through a trade or what free agency and they went all in and they've been criticized heavily for it. But mm -hmm. if he's playing the way he did when he last played in 2020, they have a chance because he was probably better than Burrow, you know, in 2020. I don't know if he's going to regain that or not, but anyway, the Bengals, yes, they had, the luck of the draft, the year he came out and made the most, you know, there wasn't like, I don't think it was like, do you take, you know, Trubisky or Mahomes or Johnny Manziel or Baker Mayfield, you take Joe Burrow. He was like obvious right. coming out of LSU. So. Yeah. It wasn't much of a challenge for them to uh, evaluate different quarterbacks and make the right selection. It was just obvious, you know, that you take Burrow that year. Um, should have been uh, obvious to the Buckeyes to play him, but that's another matter entirely. Um, at any rate, uh, they uh, uh, stand in the Browns' way. You're absolutely right. Uh, there was a question in uh, chat uh, about his contract status. He's in his third year of his rookie contract. Uh, the Bengals will probably try next year uh, to extend him to keep him out of that free agency year. Uh, I read an article today, uh, I think I linked it in the Newswire, where there's speculation that he will reset the market for quarterbacks uh, at, uh, uh, I think they said $50 million a year or something like that. Uh, that seems a little low to me. I think it might actually even be higher, but uh, it's going to be crazy, whatever it is. Uh, but, uh, you know, unfortunately, what Fred says has the sting of truth to me that he'll probably work with them somehow. Um, and uh, Amatora one is probably right. I think Lamar will reset it first. And I think Ben Burrow will probably reset it again. The, the, 
you know, the, it's just going to keep going up and up and up for these valuable quarterbacks. And the NFL did that to themselves by empowering the, uh, uh, the quarterback to uh, uh, be such an uh, important uh, cog in the, in, in, the uh, in, in the offensive machine with the importance of the passing game nowadays. Okay, um, if you have questions for Fred, please get them in. Uh, I've got a uh, lot of uh, uh, questions stored up, uh, eight or nine right now, but uh, this is my last question for Fred coming up here. And uh, uh, at any rate, uh, we need, uh, we're going to need more to get through the rest of the broadcast, so please fire them off. Last item for you from me, Fred, is your to-do list. Uh, you put together a pretty sizable one for Andrew Berry earlier this week. Uh, with a strong focus on defense. Uh, I strongly suggest if you're an OBR reader, as all right-minded people should be, to seek it out. Uh, it's a little bit down on the front page now. It's titled An Early Look at What the Browns Can Do in 2023 Offseason to Address What Went Wrong in 2022. Um, we're going to dive into detail in all the areas that you outlined, uh, Fred, over the course of this offseason but she went over the defensive line, safety, linebacker, and wide receiver as all key areas needing improvement. Uh, without diving into uh, each of those uh, individually right now, um, uh, I'm just uh, marking some questions which will uh, start, uh, which have just started to hit. Uh, with, without going into each of those right now, Given the fact that the Browns are going to have limited salary cap space to make investments, where's the one spot that you think the Browns should make significant free agent salary investments? Not necessarily one player. You know, it could be multiple players. But if you were Andrew Barry mm -hmm. and you had uh, limited cash in your wallet, where would you spend that money of those four areas that you talked about? Defensive line, both interior and exterior, defensive end. Um, I mean, I wrote about it in there. You can read Jim Schwartz's quotes. He said, there is no question what disrupts a game more than a pass rush. So he just told you what he's what he wants. And, and I think, yeah, you, you can restructure, as Jack Duffin has pointed out, how they can do that. And, and just restructuring Watson's deal. I'm sure, you know, when they traded for him, they talked to him about that, that all teams do. And to put guys around you, just restructuring him would free up money. But that's, to me, what I look at is either the trade route or the free agent route. And as we mentioned, like even Hendrickson, those guys are are big time money signings. So I think what they need to do is be a little more judicious. I pointed out, you know, one example, instead of giving Jadavian Clowney one year deal for 10 million, uh, there was two guys out there and there was a bunch of them out there, but I mentioned Jerry Hughes. I think it was like 34 years old, signed a one year deal for like four or 5 million with the Texans. He had nine sacks. And uh, Melvin Ingram signed with the Dolphins like a one-year deal, five or six million. So for the same money that the Browns gave Clowney on a one-year deal, you could get two players for the same money. They combined for 15 sacks, even if they were a one and done. Um, 
that that to me makes much more sense. Plus, instead of you have a clowny getting hurt and you can't play for five of the 17 games, right. there's a good chance one of those two guys would not be hurt. And so I think you get more quantity as still getting the same, if not better, quality. So what I see is maybe being able to address the defensive line with one, two, three one-year veteran guys in their 30s. You know, what about a, you know, a Fletcher Cox? Uh, there's a bunch of, there's many more interior defensive linemen than there are edge. So I don't know, you know, what you're going to be able to do with the edge. Clowney was actually in the early one I looked at by PFE, PFF, the second best edge available. And so that tells you, so if you get guys like a Hughes or an Ingram or Jason Pierre, those type of guys, I think you can get them for one year that are still productive, but on the interior, you might be able to get a couple of them as well. So I just don't think you, you know, in the draft with the first pick, a second round guy that you can necessarily get a guy that you know is going to step in day one and be a stud. You know, a lot of people thought Winfrey would start and be a, a big force as a rookie. I know he didn't go until the fourth round, but he, it took him a while even to, to get on the field. So they are in a window, a two year window, you know, to, I think, go all in. So I see Schwartz pushing maybe even some of his uh, recent um, teams that he has relationships with to say, Hey, come here. I have a plan for you. You know, maybe somebody that's not a necessarily a high price free agent and they could get on a one year deal for four or five million. Maybe you get a couple guys like that. I like that idea better than, you know, spending 10, 11 on a clowny for one year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it makes total sense, you know, with the need for depth and rotation that you have on the defensive line to, uh, uh, to build that out. Uh, and, uh, the Browns uh, did not have that depth last year, and it showed. Mm-hmm. All right, that's it for my questions. Let's go to some of your questions that we have from the chat. Uh, first one I'll go to here. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I overlaid uh, uh, the uh, – yes, thank you, Ian. Uh, and thank you more, E. Gillen, for the five gifted subs. Uh, we uh, appreciate all the uh, support. Uh, from you and everyone else who has gifted subs via the Twitch uh, channel. Uh, <laughs> really appreciate it. Uh, with that said, uh, <laughs> we will never get rid of this. Fumble 13 asks about Coquinas. Will we ever hear what happened or are you sworn to secrecy, Fred? Uh, don't say anything, Fred. We're going to get sued. But uh, no, I, uh, I think that will go down in history is the one thing that we never, ever talk about. Uh, on this show, uh, even if we knew, we wouldn't say. Um, so, mum's the word, right, Fred? Can't I've say heard things. I've heard things, but I'm not going to repeat. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, yeah, it comes up every every so often, every so often. Um, question from Amatora One. He says it looks like we'll have to free up some cap this off season. Besides restructuring contracts, who is being cut? Uh, and uh, there's certainly a, a number of candidates uh, out there who uh, may not be living up to their contracts. 
Uh, I believe that you mentioned at least one in your article, Fred. Who do you think out there is, is at risk for uh, having to go find new work this offseason? Well, as far as the bigger name guys, I would say John Johnson. Um, I know Jack is big on other contracts, and and he's got something like a post-June 1st, if I'm not wrong, cut, saves the Browns like nine, ten million. We know how they like, you know, to uh, save money. They did that with Sheldon Richardson, which I think was a mistake, you know, when, in light of what they've done at defensive tackle. But I think this is all at the feet of, of Schwartz. If he says no, he was not being used correctly. I like him. He's got to have an opinion on him. He was running the defense with the Rams when they were ranked number one in the NFL. And he was calling the defensive signals from safety. I think almost all the, the free agent um, lists I looked at had him as one of two of the best safeties available. And I think our guys were all in on getting John Johnson. And for whatever reason, he hasn't been the same player. So, some have said he's not being used the same way he was with the Rams. So I think, you know, this is, these are really going to be Schwartz is saying, we really need this guy. Or he says, nah, we can, I can replace him with so-and-so. Um, but <clears throat> right now, the only, the only safety I really feel that's coming back is Grant Delpit. And he right. struggled. He was involved in a lot of those blown coverages early but he made plays as the, you know, and he's still in his rookie contract. He seems to be trending upwards. <clears throat> I don't think Harrison will. He was a one-year contract just like last year. And he didn't, I mean, frankly, I didn't even hear his name called much this year. Um, DeAnthony Bell, you know, made the team as an undrafted and really made an impact in the preseason, but he never really was played much on defense. So, a lot of this will have an opinion again, what Schwartz, how important safeties are. Does he play three safeties? You know, if you play three safeties a lot, you have, you know, you have to have more bodies. He might be more traditional with two and he might even see JOK as a guy that can play some safety, you know, as in addition to linebacker, more of the in the box type safety. So I've heard maybe even Emerson, playing some safety because he's a bigger guy, you know, but, and so it, it's really going to be what Schwartz, I think, you know, what he thinks about some of these guys, but John Johnson would be the most, you know, to me, crosshairs, you know, decision. I don't know with a guy like that, if you can restructure them, you know, they seem to able to do that if they really want to keep them, but if he doesn't want, if he won't restructure, then they, they may just move on to him. So uh, somebody mentioned hunt hunts, a free agent, you know, this is the end of his contract expires, you know, when the new league year starts. So, you know, he, I don't expect him back. You know, they probably, you know, if they were going to use him the way they used him this year, I would have traded him you know, back when he was making his demands because I expected, and that's one of the biggest disappointments I've had, and you've heard me on this, back to, 
you know, he was here four years, and I think you wasted Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt together on the field, mm-hmm. you know, especially these three years under Stefanski. Freddie Kitchens used right. them both probably the best, um, just as a extra weapon, you know. So, I mean, I just didn't think Hunt was the same this year that he had been in the past. I'm not saying he lost it. I just didn't – you would see – Chubb in and he'd get five six yards and hunt on almost like the same play get tackled for a two-yard loss or something so he might go somewhere and be a star but I think that he's gonna be you know sitting out there getting a one-year contract kind of uh with incentives but I don't see him coming back here unless he has no offers and the Browns you know but but I think they're ready to move on to Jerome Ford. Yeah, it sure seems that way with uh, uh, Ford getting in and playing a little bit uh, over uh, uh, to Ernest Johnson even um, late in the season. I think he answered Tysock's question there uh, as well. Um, and uh, just a comment from uh, Amatora as well to follow that up. Um uh, with respect to uh, whether JJ3 was being used properly uh, here and whether, you know, the problem might not be uh, uh, a little bit uh, uh, with how he was being used here versus how he was being used in LA. Uh, I also want to put up a comment from Paul Spencer. We were talking about Joe Burrow uh, earlier. Uh, and I think that there's a, a lot to be said about this, uh, that Burrow <coughs> may be getting the benefit of the doubt here because he, Browns have been beating him by and large, uh, and he hasn't knocked him out of the playoffs uh, or out of contention for the playoffs. That's what gets me about that Steelers game. You know, we went to Pittsburgh. The Browns went to Pittsburgh with the opportunity to knock them out of the playoffs, and they went and they laid an egg. That was a great chance to really renew that rivalry, and the Browns went there and just, you know, nothing. And, uh, uh, you know, Well, all things being – Walk over us. All things being said, it cemented Joe Woods getting fired because they had another blown coverage, you know, in the final game of the year for a touchdown. And to be honest, getting the fourth place schedule at whether you're seven and yeah. ten or eight and nine, I think is I would rather see the Browns playing the Bears and the Broncos next year than, you know, whoever I think it was the Lions or the Pack. The Packers, one of those two teams, got third place in that division, and I think I think that that will be favor to them. Yeah, you know, long term, I, I I think you have the right perspective. Uh, I just wanted to see us knock the Steelers out of the playoffs. You know, even though they didn't make it anyway, I just I don't know. I say the Steelers. At any rate, uh, here's a question from Superfly Rob. He's, he asked, when will we see the Browns start restructuring contracts? Um, and uh, uh, I, I think you start seeing that before before March, don't you, Fred? Because uh, we're going to need to have the cap space before free agency bullets start flying, right? It seems like that's about when teams do it. You know, I remember about the time of the Watson trade last year, Everybody thought he was going to New Orleans because they were restructuring all their players, you know, because just like every year with New Orleans, they, they're way over the cap. And then 
oh, they're going to have all these, Marshawn Lattimore, Michael Tom, all these guys are going to be available, and they never become available because they restructure them. So I don't know exactly when the rules are. The new league year starts, so I don't know if you have to do it before the new league year. I don't think so, but there's something about when I think it, there's some that become guaranteed if they're on the roster a certain date and they get bonuses and and different things like that. I'm not an expert in that area, but I think you do it when you can do it. I mean, they did Conklin what the, next to the last game. I'm sure that they're starting to talk with some of these. I would think Watson would be the first one they talk to saying, look, this is what we want to do to help you. You still, they get all their money. It's just, it's just kind of reshuffling the deck and they get it in a signing bonus up front, but it doesn't count as much against the cap spread out over five years. That's how you free up money. If you looked it over the cap last year, all year, the Browns had the most space. They had like 32 million and yet the second had like 10 or 11. So now, now they're down or they have no money. So you'll start to see them playing those games. But I think there's some, I think you start with the bigger ones first to free up. So I think Watson and, you know, Garrett and war, I don't know how long you have to wait before you can do that, but I think it'll start happening here within a month. Okay. Uh, a comment from Manimal1955, who had a uh, bad interaction with someone on Facebook. Uh, most of my interactions with people on Facebook are, are, are not good. But uh, uh, he says, some people I know think that Woods and Schwartz are the same. I tried to explain the difference between the two. All I got a response was to spare them my football expertise. Fred, can, can you imagine somebody saying that Joe Woods and uh, Jim Schwartz are the <laughs> same thing at defensive coordinator? Uh, don't you think there's a pretty significant difference between those two? I do. I mean, I I have not been around Schwartz, you know, on a day-to-day basis in 30 years. And when he was here before, he wasn't – he was just kind of like a lot of the employees of the Browns that I see every day, you know, in their mid-20s walking around, you know, doing gopher things. But I've seen him, you know, in his career – as a head coach, defensive coordinator, everybody remembers him with Jim Harbaugh, you know, getting right in his face, you know, when he didn't shake his hand or, or something after a game, he's very fiery. The, the, when he was with the Eagles, you know, how training camp is you're out there, the fans are all around and he was his, let's put it this, his coaching with his defensive players was so, spicy they had to move him and the players to another area because so many were tweeting and videoing what he was how he was he was in their faces he was screaming oh he joe woods is a real nice guy but i never saw him uh fuss with anybody and you know, and I, I felt like he was similar to Kevin Stefanski, you know. I think you need a guy getting their face once in a while. And he talked about this. He said Gunther Cunningham really influenced him. And he said that guy would get in the face. He would rip a guy up and down like the guy you would think he felt like two cents. 
And then they'd walk off the field at the end of practice with their arm around each other. You know, it's like you command that respect. And I think Schwartz will command it because he's been there, done that, been to the Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. And I, I really think you don't have to be a yeller or screamer, but you're going to do it right. I will go out on a limb right now and saying they're not going to have the shenanigans they were pulling this year on the defensive side of the ball. Hey, I'm late to this. Hey, I'm complaining about I don't want to play on first down or second down because he's not going to put up with it and you're not going to play, you know? Yeah. And I think they need that. He can be the bad cop, you know, to Stefanski, good cop. Realize he's not the head coach, but no, I, I don't know X's and O's. He's got a similar system, but all you need to know is he thinks every coach and quarterback he's talked to over all his years in there said the most disruptive thing is a pass rush. And he doesn't, well, well here's a stat right here. Um, Jake Burns tweeted it. They compared Joe Woods playing zone versus man-to-man, you know, with like press coverage. And Schwartz is like the last year he was defensive coordinator with the Eagles. Mm -hmm. He was fifth, the fifth most in the NFL playing man-to-man. And and Woods's three years were something like 26, 27, 28. It was, they were all like at the bottom meaning, and we saw it. I mean, you don't have to be a genius to look at it. How frustrated you get. Like when you watch Denzel Ward and Jamar chase, they have him playing 15 yards off the ball, let chase go out for a seven yard turn around, catch the pass and then try to tackle him, get up on him, and let the other guys be aggressive. He Schwartz said in his press conference that he's known for being very aggressive. And that doesn't mean he's blitzing very much. He's just very aggressive. So I like that. I'm tired of him just sitting back and letting another team dictate everything. You got all them cornerbacks for a reason. If they're not good enough to shut down or to, you know, cover a guy, then get other ones. But even Schwartz said the way the league is structured now, cornerbacks, it's very tough to shut down people totally in the passing game. That's why you have to do it with your pass rush. So I think he'll look at this and say, we don't have enough guys up front to be disruptive. We got Garrett, but we got to get a, another couple guys up here that can, especially in the middle, that can stop the run and push from the middle. And and I think they'll look high and low. And they may bring in two, three, one-year guys, might be in their 30s, to plug that gap until they can find a long-term answer because you got to have that this year. Those young guys didn't come through like Woods and Barry and them were expecting. They got run to right down their throat. We saw it. Ten of the last 14 games, they gave up 130 yards on the ground. Schwartz's defense have never allowed that type of rushing attack. So no. I think I said in that article, the biggest move they made, they already made by getting Schwartz. Now you got to get the make the right decisions to equip him with what he needs to carry out the defense. <clears throat> exactly. And I, I think watching Brown's defense is going to be a lot more fun in 2023 than it was last year. At least I hope so. 
Interesting question from Tom Stakely in YouTube. He says, how will the Schwartz hiring affect JOK? And he did talk a little bit about the linebacker position in his press conference, right, Fred? Yeah, he, he singled out David Wong, who plays for the Titans. He's actually lighter than JOK. He's 215 pounds, and he sung his praises. He says it's not their size. It's their attack, their speed, and their aggressiveness. And I do think that's what JOK brings is he's aggressive. Now, some of the – I think you do have to have a little bulk, but he said he didn't want guys over 250, and the Browns had one guy over 250 and Reggie Ragland. So I think he does – he's fine with whatever he's got, but I do think that if they're aggressive attacking the ball, I think they'll be fine. So I think that he's going to put more of an impact on the defensive line and they'll try to tweak a little. I don't, I think Long's a free agent. I would be surprised if he goes after him since they do have JOK on the roster. Um, I would look more, you know, maybe, maybe a little bit bigger guys, but he's, he's seen it all. He's seen it change from bigger guys, littler guys. I -hmm. think we're, it's the tempo's all set though up front and that's where his defense always seems to be the focus is defensive linemen, you know, and the at tackle and defensive end. So that's where I'm seeing where you start, get that fixed. And then if you got to go with what you got, I, I like bringing Walker back and, you know, and JOK and, <clears throat> if you can add a guy, but you can only add so many guys, you know, in free agency. I think that, you know, if you don't want Walker back, then you get another guy like him on a one-year deal and fill a hole. Uh, Interesting question here from Amatora one is, as well. I know it's not a Browns question, but uh, uh, something that does impact us uh, with regard to (laughs) the, the Baltimore Ravens. Uh, having a little problem with uh, Lamar Jackson uh, and their speculation about whether they might deal him off uh, because, uh, uh, but, but they're, they're saying basically that uh, he's going to be a Raven. He's going to be a Raven. Uh, and uh, Amatora asks whether we think the Ravens will trade Lamar since it seems they can't find an agreement on a contract. Do you have any opinion on that Fred? No, I don't think they'll trade him. Um, they would franchise tag him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see at worst it being like Kirk Cousins when the Washington franchised him two years in a row and then traded him, you know, to the Vikings. Um, I think this is where, you know, the Deshaun Watson deal really works in the Browns' favor because your arch rival and you can't argue that Lamar Jackson's argument is I'm more valuable to the Ravens than Watson, you know, coming in, getting 230 million guaranteed. I've been here, done that with you guys. And, and even though they say, well, Hey, you know, we don't have the money or this and that, that's not going to fly with him. I thought he might be easier because he doesn't have an agent, but he's been towing the line. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that when you give guaranteed money, the owner has to put a percentage of it in escrow, meaning you have to have cash on hand for that guarantee. 
can't just say it's guaranteed but not have it. And Jimmy Haslam had the guaranteed money. I think it was like $169 million, and that's set aside for Watson in escrow. Well, it's my understanding that the Ravens owner doesn't have that cash to put in escrow, so they can't do that. That may not be true, but that's what I have heard from people I've talked to. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the impasse is, is how do you do this if you can't guarantee him that money? That's why there's been deals done, Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, and they've got on paper a bigger contract than Watson, but the guaranteed money was less. It was more, you know, probably more in the, the realm where it should be. So I think that's the issue. And so what are you going to do? If he insists on guaranteed money, they're not going to be able to do it unless there's something I don't know about. There's probably always some creative way to do it, but I think they're not going to let him go. And to be honest, I wouldn't mind him get the big deal and stay there because I am not as worried about Lamar Jackson with the Ravens as I am Joe Burrow with the Bengals. The right, Browns seem right. if the Browns have handled Jackson the last three times they've played him. He didn't play, you know, in that first game. You know, they only got 23 points. Um, and it wasn't totally Jackson was he hasn't he hasn't hurt him really since that 47 to 42 game that he came out of the toilet, you know, to win the game. Um, Joe Woods did have them whether with JOK and the scheme to kind of keep him under control. So I think that, and he's, he's kind of become injury prone last two yep. years. He missed, you know, 10, 12 games to end the season. He hasn't been there. And so when you look at the Ravens are like, how do we give this guy 250 million guaranteed when we don't even know if he'll play, you know, half a year. So mm-hmm. I think it's kind of a, a good problem for the Browns because they've already made their thing with Watson and they can criticize, but now they have to deal with it with their own guy. And if I'm Jackson, I'm like, I'm probably more valuable than Watson is. And I've, I've been a good guy and I've done it here for you guys. So how can you give me less if that's what the going rate is? So I don't get the idea. He's going to come back and say, okay, I'm going to give you a hometown discount now. (laughs) <laughs> maximum chaos in Baltimore. That's what I'm rooting for. As much uh, chaos as possible. I think we got time for one more question. This is from Ronnie in uh, the YouTube chat. He says, we heard from Woods that he simplified his defense in an effort to fix coverage breakdowns, but the breakdowns persisted. Why assume our players can execute a more complex D even with Schwartz? Is it fair to assume that Schwartz is going to have a more complex defense, Fred, uh, or that uh, Schwartz will be able to coach them to to, uh, communicate better? Um, I think Ronnie's getting at the question of whether the problem isn't uh, with the complexity of the defense, but with our players. Any thoughts on this? I don't, I don't know what, you know, it's a little ambiguous. The, complex more complex i mean schwartz has been around a long time and he said right he said that he adapts to what he has if the 
if they're implying that it's too complicated, that, that the Browns don't have smart enough guys, they're pretty much sampling of an NFL player. I've been around all these guys and most of them very bright guys. So I don't think it's, I mean, JOK is a very smart kid. So is Grant Delpit. So is Denzel Ward, Greg Newsom, uh, Anthony Walker. These are, these are thinkers. They're pretty smart guys. So I don't think it's that they can't pick up on something. I think the communication issue is simply, you know, not, not being on the same page or whatever. And that's what I, I think it was Woods's problem is not, not laying it out to that point. I mean, I don't expect, I mean, I I don't know at all. Schwartz wouldn't be where he's at today if he had blown coverage after blown coverage going mm-hmm. on. So I think it's going to be simplified, and he, he's smart enough to know what they can handle, and he's going to put it. I mean, Woods was here three years. I mean, it's right. not like he was using anything much different than he was his first year. It was very a lot of zone and soft coverage. And I think with Schwartz going to be attacking aggressive, we live and die by the sword, but it starts with the pass rush up front and stopping the run and then getting after the quarterback. And I think that's, I think it's no more complicated than that. I'd be surprised if, if we see blown coverages to the magnitude we've seen in the last two years under Joe Woods defense. Boy, I, I hope not. And uh, on that note, we are going to wrap up the show. I'm sorry if we weren't able to get to your question. Uh, we had a couple ones left, but uh, we'll certainly try to get to as many as we can every week here on OBR Weekly. Uh, so until next week, uh, I'm Barry McBride uh, for Fred Breatham. Uh Thank you for attending and hanging out with us once again here on a Wednesday night. And uh, we'll see you next week at 7 p.m. on OBR Weekly. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you.